0: When we are aware of something and aware that we are not alone in experiencing it, there's something powerful there that begins to shift things within us towards more optimism, more of a sense of connection, more of a sense of hope and possibility before anything externally has changed. See, looking at things clear on, straight on, it gives us the fortitude we need to go about making the shifts. Because nothing really shifts without acknowledgement. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain. And together, we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. I am so glad that you are here in this conversation with me during our month of joy. But I'm actually going to start with a story that has quite an obvious lack of joy. I was just talking to Dana LeMay, who is the head of the school for our Boundary Academy. And one of the many things that myself and women from all over the world appreciate about Dana is her radical level of authenticity. She says it how it is. So we were at our meeting today, our weekly meeting and said, Hey, how you doing? And Dana said, You know what, Carly? I have let my cup run dry. Me, the woman who literally teaches boundaries for a living, who practices this art, I'm having a light bulb moment as if it's the first time it's ever occurred to me that I'm doing a little bit more than is reasonable. And she mentioned how, you know, when her cup is empty, everything begins to feel trickier. Things become more challenging. And she gave me permission to share this story with you. And it just reminds me of so many similar accounts that I get from women who say things like, I'm just feeling so foggy minded or work that used to get done faster is taking me a lot longer and I'm frustrated and I don't know why I can't focus. That it often has a lot to do with how full our cup is, specifically our cup of joy. So this month, We've been talking about joy and how it helps us do better in our careers and our health and our relationships. And specifically, we're talking about what gives us joy, what sabotages our joy, and then what helps us reclaim it with examples from real stories with women who have gone from feeling zapped or drained or fatigued and frankly, joyless, even if things were good in their work and personal lives. And that's important to notice, especially. If on paper, everything looks good enough and you're still not feeling so hot about it, this is an important conversation to be in. So in the last episode, we went over specifically what joy is and how it's different than the fleeting sensation of happiness. Why it's so important for our growth, not just because it feels good, but because there are specific things that cultivation of joy allows us to become better at things like our ability to focus, to problem solve, to find solutions, to work more efficiently, things that help us make more money, get bonuses, raises, land opportunities with new clients or new places of employment. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Go back and listen if you haven't already. But for right now, let's think about joy, much like this cup of tea that Dana was referring to when she said her cup has gotten empty here, in that Joy is a lot like a container of warm, delicious tea. And if there is a crack in that mug, right, or in that teacup, a little itty bitty fracture, it doesn't matter how much warm, delicious, nourishing tea we keep pouring back in because it's just gonna be slowly leaking out from the bottom, right? All that we're doing to try to keep ourselves afloat will be accidentally draining out of the bottom of our glass, despite our good work or the good intentions we have. And so in this episode, we're going to cover what might be accidentally messing with your mojo. We're going to look at a couple of the common leaks that spring up in the, the well of women's reserves so that you can keep an eye out for any of those leaks that might be accidentally draining your joy so we can keep your cup full. So if you're finding yourself feeling a little foggy, noticing that you're not feeling as inspired or motivated or you have to really rally yourself or that you just don't have the same pep in your step that you once have and it's messing with your work or your relationships or your health, this is the episode for you because no one passes through life or work untouched by the highs and lows of all that we have to navigate. But there is a way to have a raft on the water of change So that regardless of if the waters are high or scraping the bottom of that teacup, you have a soft and dependable support system to carry you forward. So as I launch into some of the things that are sabotaging women's joy and a couple very simple, especially doable practices we can do to help with that, I got to pause and do one of my most joyful things, which is to give a shout out. And today I am shouting out to all of the women in the new class of the Boundary Academy. We have gals from four countries showing up with courage and curiosity and such great questions about the places they want to be setting boundaries. I am so glad that you are showing up for this work and that we get to do this together in community with one another. I cannot wait to see what continues to unfold for you As we go through these modules of the Academy together, just know that you're in my heart, you're on my mind. And hey, even if you're never in the Boundary Academy and you're just listening in on a regular basis, know that I think about you a lot too. A lot of women say they want to feel better in their career or their relationships or their health, but they don't always show up for it. And just showing up, popping in an episode like this as you go about your day can make a world of difference. So, hey, I'd love to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode, too. So head on over to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast, or you can email a voice memo to Anitza, that's A-N-I-T-Z-A at everybodythrive.com, and we will add your voice memo comment into an upcoming episode. The last time we did that, actually, a woman said in a voice memo, we ended up inviting her on. To be a guest for an entire episode. You just never know what can happen when you share that beautiful and insightful voice of yours and your experience with us all. This episode is brought to you by The Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time, or energy, or money, or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know. That boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the boundaries brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes, wherever you're listening, or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. <laughs> just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. So if we're going to talk about joy, I want to be specific and make sure that we're sharing some common language around this, because oftentimes words like joy or happiness or positivity, they're used interchangeably, but really they're separate things. But the definition of joy, according to the American Psychological Association, is that it's a sensation of extreme gladness or delight or exultation in the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. And there are two main types of joy. There's passive joy, which is more of a tranquility. It's a sense of contentment in the moment with the way things are. For example, if you're driving in your car and you see a rainbow come up over the hill that you're driving through, that might be an inward moment of beauty where you forget about everything else and you're right there appreciating what's in front of you. Now, the other type of joy we see is a more active joy. And this often involves moments where we're sharing things with other people. A great example of active joy is when, you know, the women's soccer team scores a goal, everyone is cheering, they're jumping up and down, they're wrapping their arms around one another. It's a much more active sensation of joy. So if we talk about joy, we also have to talk about the other side of the coin, some of the emotions or sensations we have that feel very different than joy. Because it's important that we recognize that we can't see the light without the darkness, right? Like if everything was light, there would be no recognition that light even existed. Every emotion has an opposite emotion or it has a balancing emotion or it has another sensation. And so the obvious opposite of joy is sorrow, And in a moment, we're going to talk about that because it's actually really important to understand and appreciate sorrow if we're going to talk about joy. But first, I want to talk about something that's in the middle between joy and sorrow that's really important to acknowledge here. Adam Grant recently, maybe you caught it, wrote a great New York Times article, and I'll put a link to that here in the show notes, where he talked about languishing And languishing, as he says in the article, is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as though you're kind of muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021, was what he had to say. And I appreciate him bringing the conversation of languishing up to the surface here, because really, it's kind of like the middle ground in our mental health that dulls our motivation and focus, but it's not maybe as clinical or as serious or as recognized as full-on depression or grief or sorrow. And so what we're noticing here right now, and what I'm seeing a lot within my practice as I work with many higher achievers, is that lots of women are feeling languish. They're feeling the foggy nature of having navigated uncharted territory through this COVID pandemic for the last year and a half. And yet they judge themselves for not functioning the same as they used to, or knowing what to do to fix this or other challenges that are coming up. They're just feeling frustrated that they're not feeling more like themselves or more like who they are when they're at their best. So, before we can fix things, before we can address something like languishing or something as deep as sorrow or grief, we have to first be willing to acknowledge them. And that's what this episode is about. This is an episode of acknowledgement because there will be relief here when things are seen or heard and understood. When we are aware of something and aware that we are not alone in experiencing it, for example, Adam Grant writing this article about languishing, which it turns out went viral very quickly because so many people related to it. There's something powerful there that begins to shift things within us towards more optimism, more of a sense of connection, more of a sense of hope and possibility before anything externally has changed. See, looking at things clear on, straight on, it gives us the fortitude we need to go about making the shifts because nothing really shifts without acknowledgement. So my intention today is that we gather around this episode, like we might gather around my dining room table if you were here with me and just talk for a moment about some of these things that get in the way of our joy to just listen and just learn and look at it all through a lens of curiosity rather than judgment as I outline two very specific questions that you might want to ask yourself if you're noticing (laughs) that you haven't quite set up your camp in joy lately. If languishing or sorrow or grief or struggle have been consistent in your days, I want you To just notice what happens as we give voice to that, right? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not giving any medical advice. Of course, if you've got proper depression or suspect you have any symptom like that, that's a place to talk to a medical professional. Today, we're just going to talk for a brief moment here about whether or not we let the sorrow or the languishing or the challenges we're facing be seen and be acknowledged. I think a lot about. Kahil Gibran, actually, who was a Lebanese-American writer and poet and artist, he wrote this powerful short phrase in one of his works on joy and sorrow. He said, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And what Kahil Gibran was saying there is that our capacity to feel joy increases as our capacity to feel sorrow or other challenging states expands. My goodness, I wish somebody was there to tell me that when my former fiance, Adam, passed away. We talked about that on one of our first episodes, actually. But one really fascinating thing that happened during that time where I was really rocked to my core. I didn't know how I could possibly show up for my business, for my clients, for the people whose livelihood I was responsible for supporting when I was in such deep suffering. But one very interesting thing I found during that time that I didn't understand logically it made no sense to me in the moment, was that in that moment of deep suffering, it felt like somebody had gotten out a highlighter and was highlighting all of the emotions of my days. Sorrow felt so sorrowful. But when somebody did something kind, it felt extremely kind. Or when something was funny, it was just like belly laughter funny. Or when something made me feel uncomfortable, it was deeply <laughs> uncomfortable. What was cracking me open to feel so much grief was also allowing me to feel all the other things too. Our capacity to feel joy seems to expand at the pace that we give ourselves capacity to notice other sensations too. Now, Dr. Pamela Epson King, she's an associate professor of applied development science at the Thrive Center for Human Development Studies. She comments consistently about how joy is related to our ability to thrive, but she also connected it to what I'm talking about here in terms of feeling sorrow and other heavy emotions. She said, and I quote, joy and sorrow are deeply connected. Both are a response to those things that matter most. Joy is our delight when we experience, celebrate, and anticipate the manifestation of those things we hold with the most significance, like birth or graduation. Sorrow is our response to the violation, destruction, or deterioration of such sacred things. This perspective helps us understand why the loss of human life due to COVID-19 pandemic and the devaluing of human life evident in structural racism leave many grieving and in such profound sorrow. However, she went on to say, this complexity also informs how we can experience joy and sorrow at the same time. How true that joy is tied to our potential to grow as an individual and relate and give to others and how our values can endure in the face of loss and suffering. The trick is stay connected to those things that deeply matter in the face of adversity and loss. And so do you catch what Dr. King is referencing there and what Kahil Gibran is talking about and what I'm mentioning when I talk about this highlighter that felt like somebody was coloring the edges of the sensations in my day, it's that we cannot turn off one emotion. For example, the emotions that are sticky or tricky or difficult with also turning off our ability to feel the emotions we really do appreciate and enjoy. And so I want to pause here for a moment and just check in with you. If you were hanging out in my office with me right now, I would say, what do you notice as we talk about the connection between sorrow and languishing and joy? Of what I've just shared, are any parts relevant to you? Is there something here that's ready to be seen or acknowledged? Maybe not all of it right now, but perhaps you do schedule in a moment to acknowledge anything that is bubbling up for you here. And when I say acknowledge Acknowledgement can look like writing a few lines in a journal or on a slip of paper or considering the connection between your emotions and your experience in the last year and a half as you go through a walk through a park or around the block or heck just for the duration of the next time you shampoo your hair. I just encourage you not to rush this part. As human women I think we're expected to go from one thing to the next to the next to the next. There's always something that's On our plate to do. But when we don't get those little pauses, these moments to acknowledge what we're experiencing in real time, things can begin to fester. Things can begin to feel stuck. We can feel like we're going round and round and working really hard and not quite seeing the progress or the results or feeling the things we really want to feel, even though we're putting forth plenty of effort. So I encourage you, if you're feeling lots of feels right now, not to rush this part even if it feels like a stretch past your comfort zone or just the zone of your convenience because you have enough to do today. Because this exercise of acknowledgement is exactly what allows us to expand our capacity to feel joy and to have access and to enjoy the success that we have now or that joy helps us cultivate. This is what allows us to live into what we're about to cover right here as we plant the seeds for new joys to come your way in very simple, doable methods right now. So we're going to talk about the cultivation of joy in a very practical sense, and I am going to go super foundational here. So foundational that you might even notice thoughts like, this can't possibly be this easy. It can't possibly be this straightforward to experience more joy. Because if you are a high achiever or somebody that is used to working hard in order to earn the good in your life, you might be used to a sense of things need to be difficult or complicated in order to be effective. And that is not always the case. In fact, I want to give you an example of one of my clients. She owns a company that's been growing rapidly. They're in the media field and they're based out in the middle part of our country in a state that has had massive political unrest here in the United States. Also, a lot of racial tensions, protests and riots and a lot of things that need to be acknowledged that are right outside where she lives, right? And so her company is navigating not just COVID and all of those challenges, but also major unrest. And she's just feeling pulled in a variety of directions and wondering when she came to a recent session, Carly, how in the world am I supposed to be the inspired, motivating, visionary of this company when I can't even see my way through the rest of today, right? And she was in a very similar place to the example I gave from Dana at the top of this call in that her cup had just run dry. She had spent this past year, as many women who are leaders at work or at home have, which is running the show and being the sounding board and listening ear for the folks who have had a difficult time navigating this. And we talked about what just a little bit more joy would look like for her, even though she has lots of responsibilities on her plate. One of those responsibilities was balancing the budget for her company that has to get done in this fiscal quarter. It can't be neglected. And she's the one who has to do it. And so we talked about simple things that she might do to bring her self joy. And just in that conversation alone, as she began to brainstorm ideas about joy, her sense of brainstorming other things really began to return. So we're going to talk specifically about a few things that have been found statistically to be universally joyful. These are items that seem to spark joy for people across lines of gender or ethnicity or other demographics. And this research comes to us from a woman named Ingrid Fatali, lee who did a great TED talk on where joy hides and how to find it. There's a link to that in the show notes, or you can just Google that too. But as she was studying joy, she noticed that there were some very specific, tangible items that were just universally effective in reconnecting us to this great sensation. They were things like cherry blossoms, or bubbles, or swimming pools. People lit up when they talked about tree houses, or hot air balloons, or this one really speaks to me for some reason, those little plastic googly eyes. <laughs> I mean, I laugh like as I, as I just think about googly eyes or ice cream cones with sprinkles or rainbows or fireworks. And what she said, I'm going to quote here because it's just so perfect. Ingrid said, The sharply divided, politically polarized world we live in sometimes has the effect of making our differences feel so vast as to be insurmountable. And yet, underneath it all, There's a part of each of us that finds joy in the same things. And although we're often told that these are just passing pleasures, in fact, they're really important because they remind us of the shared humanity we find in our common experience of the physical world, end quote. So as she began to study these interesting things like googly eyes and the cherry blossoms and what is it about sprinkles that lights people up, Ingrid just put a bunch of images printed out of these things where she could see them. And after noticing them for a while, she began to spot patterns. There was commonality in each of these things. She noticed patterns around things being round in shape or having pops of color or sense of abundance or multiplicity or a feeling of lightness and elevation like you might get with balloons. And she noticed how we really do access joy through tangible physical attributes, or what designers would call aesthetics. Now, interestingly enough, she points out that the word aesthetic comes from the Greek word asthomi, which means I feel, I sense, I perceive. And this is why it's so important that we dare to pause and feel and sense and perceive, because it's in these types of moment that we're able to To connect a little bit deeper with joy, because we're not thinking about the 20 things we didn't do right or the 10 things we still want to get to before the day's end. We're right there in the moment where joy happens. And so I want to give you a practice here. I want to make this incredibly practical. And I am going to join you in this practical practice of joy. I want to invite you to set for the next 21 days, a joy alarm. Maybe on your phone or any other place where you can have a reminder pop up where you have a little alarm that invites you to be alert to the joy available to you in the moment. And to make it a little bit easier in case you're like me and you love to have things planned in advance or you want to know that joy will be accessible, especially if it's not coming to you easily right now, you might prepare something simple to have on hand. Like for me, for example... I am going to go buy a cheap jar of bubbles and I am going to blow bubbles for a few minutes every day for the next 21 days. Whether it's rainy or the sun is out or it's hot or it's cold or I'm feeling like it or I am not feeling like doing joy, I am going to go blow a few bubbles and I'm just going to notice that. I'm going to be in that state of asthomi the Greeks were talking about, of just feeling and sensing and perceiving more specifically, feeling and sensing and perceiving something that is not traditionally part of my thought process. I don't think about bubbles (laughs) on a daily basis. I don't know why not. They're great. But I know that my day is usually full of other things. So what about you? What might you put on hand to make joy a little bit easier? something tangible, like maybe you keep a small handful of bird seed in your pocket or your purse so that you can toss it like confetti each day. Or maybe you're going to walk by your neighbor's house that has flowers blooming. Or count how many daffodils you can spot within the strip of grass that sometimes grows between the sidewalk and the street if you live in the city. Or keep an eye out for the stuffed animals in the toy shop window that you walk by. Or the polka dots on an awning. With the polka dots on a skirt, or the polka dots on a piece of tissue paper. Just a few minutes of this type of daily practice will leverage the neuroplasticity of your brain to start becoming primed for the experience of joy, for elevation, for a sense of lightness and buoyancy returning. And you will begin to see more and feel more of the joy available to you. I know that this kind of practice, the cultivation of joy is something that I have had to do again and again in my life at different moments. There are times when the average amount of joy that comes to us by chance, it's just not enough. We have to actively use joy like a verb and practice it. This reminds me, I'm going a little bit off script here, of a term that we used to use in the ashram I was raised in. So I was raised in a yoga ashram, believe it or not. And there was a term we would Used called premature transcendence. Premature transcendence was this really interesting thing where when folks would get a little bit of spiritual knowledge or a little bit of a taste of what it could feel like to escape from what was challenging or difficult, they would do just that. They would check out, (laughs) they would begin to become obsessed with joy or feeling good or feeling bliss. And not only was that really annoying to be around, it was also not genuine, right? And we all know that. We all know folks who kind of default to the sense of surface level faux optimism or faux joy who don't acknowledge the things that are sticky or tricky that need to be seen if we want them to shift and that's not healthy, nor is suffering all the time. That doesn't work either. So the goal of this joy alarm is to allow space for all of it, right? For the sorrow or the languishing or other emotions related to grief or the surviving or the ways you have had to step up and lead or be the listening ear for so many people, maybe for your entire life and it's just been exacerbated during COVID, and for the pockets of joy available for us too. Maybe in the seeing three blue robins eggs in a nest or the way the sun makes a prism of light when it comes through your water bottle on the countertop. This conversation, it really reminds me a lot of our first episode of Messy and Magnificent when we spoke about the power of the word and and all of the research in the field of positive psychology that helps us acknowledge and process the sticky swamp of our thoughts and also make sure that we keep at least one toe in the waters of what is good. This all feels good and joy has been so clearly shown to be one of the prime emotions and experiences that allows us to navigate difficult times. And I want to tell you, I have so much more that I want to share about you with joy. I want to talk more about the science behind it. I want to shower you with research and data and more examples. But you know what? Joy is available to us in the little things, in the present moment. I'll put links to all the research we used for this episode here Let's start with setting our joy alarm. And if you feel inspired, tag me in a photo you post on Instagram or LinkedIn with something that sparked joy in your days. And maybe we'll find some more common ground for us, some more universal territory in the language of what gives us passion and zest and a sense of levity. And I will definitely keep you posted about how my experiment in blowing bubbles pans out. So tell me. As we think about everything we've just covered today, what is one part you don't want to forget? I really encourage you to share that on iTunes so that I know what's landing for you in a review or send a voice memo via email to Anitza at everybodythrive.com. I'll put a link to her email address in the show notes and we'll keep this conversation going because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the joy that gives meaning and zest to your days and illuminates your best work. And I'll see you again next week with a brand new episode as we go through the stories of real women who have rekindled the spark of what gives them joy and their best work, even when they thought it could never be found again. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com Forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.